So we have a fresh uh, year ahead of us. And we can't help but thinking how we'd like this year to go. We uh, plan events, we consider areas of our lives we'd like to work on, relationships we'd like to improve or deepen. We evaluate how we'd like to spend our time and that most valuable resource of all being our, our time. And we think about our faithfulness, we think about our effectiveness, we think about our impact. It's probably this time of year we most think along those lines. If you notice a lot of the content of our liturgy related to that, God establishing our work, making it count, not being in vain. We do so as individuals, families, and a local church. And I love Lawndale. I love the body of believers here. Uh, Alan and me and our, our family, this church occupies a very special place uh, in our hearts. And I'm really excited about the things that are going on in our community life together. We're having healthy conversations as a church about who we are as a local church, how God's gifted us, what he's calling us to do, and where he might be stretching us. And so we're thinking through ways to solidify our connection with one another, make our channels of communication clearer, improve our operations, we're defining our mission, clarifying our staffing needs, determining the facility that will best help us carry out our current ministry and our potential ministry. And uh, these are complex, multifaceted things for a church to put their minds and hearts together and think through. And yet, um, even more than that, they're enjoyable conversations, that we would be in a place we can have those kinds of conversations. They're encouraging signs of health and life for a local church and also exciting to lay before the Lord in terms of our usefulness as a body in the extension of Jesus's kingdom. So I'm thinking all that through, starting off this year with the privilege of being able to preach on a Lord's Day that's also a Sunday, beginning the year. So our, our passage today is really one of my favorites as when I start having these, wanting to think through these questions about who we are and how God's called us to be a part of his kingdom. And so we're going to read uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. It's a glorious passage. And I'd like this to be one of those passages that you mull over in you know, the early months of this year. They speak of our privileges and our purpose as uh, the people of God. So 1 Peter 2, verse, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Wonderful text. The grass withers and the flowers fade and this word endures forever. Let's pray. Our gracious God, please give us wisdom and direction according to this text. Holy Spirit, move in our midst, we ask in Christ's name, amen. So I have two points. The first is our privileges. The second is our purpose. Well, we can say our privileges, our Christian identity, and the next is our purpose being our kingdom involvement. Well, several years ago when I was preaching on Romans 8, I ran across a quote I liked a whole lot. It's kind of a cumbersome quote, but it's a beautiful quote. It's by John Owen, 17th century English theologian. He says, unacquaintedness with our mercies, our privileges, is our sin as well as our trouble. It's interesting, not just a sin to be unacquainted with our privileges, but it's the root cause of our trouble. Our biggest problem then is that we just don't know what we have in, in a way that really matters. And so I want us to start thinking as we approach this weird year to just let sink down deeper the privileges you have as you start this year in Christ. And see, the whole issue is being in Christ. It's the basic point of our identity, our privilege. So verse four says we, we come to Christ, who's a living stone. And that means that life is found in Jesus. He's the resurrected one. He's the living one. We have derivative life. He's the life-giving savior. So it means if we've never come to Jesus, then we aren't alive, we aren't living, we're dead. We're dead in sin. So it's in coming to the living stone, Jesus, that you and I become living stones, if you noticed. Yourselves like living stones. The way you get to be a living stone is that you've come to the living stone. And so you just see that together, that Jesus gives you what he has. He shares with you what he possesses. And so if he's living, then you're living. If he's precious, then in verse seven, you are honored and precious. If he's chosen, verse four, I think says, then, then in verse nine, you were chosen. And that what Jesus has, he gives to you. 
Well, we want to be a living church. We want to be a part of a living church. But the root of that is coming to a living Savior as individuals. And coming to Jesus means we've come to regard Jesus as the Father regards Jesus. That he's chosen and precious and honored. So he's not a stone to be rejected, not a stone of stumbling, not a stone of offense. Our world, to varying degrees, views him that way, and we have to look into our own hearts where we view Jesus as offensive or as someone we stumble over. He gets in our way. But, but saving faith is viewing Jesus like the Father views Jesus. Precious, honored, chosen. It's viewing Jesus as the cornerstone that everything depends upon him. He's not one stone among many. He is, he's the one that everything else is built around. So the picture out of Psalm 18, 118 and Isaiah is that there's builders to the temple and they're hunting good stones to use in God's temple. And they examine one stone, they look at it, they evaluate it, and then they, they discard it. They judge it to be unsuitable, worthless, trash really. And they move on. But then strangely enough, they come back a while later and they revisit that stone. And all of a sudden they realize it's not just good for construction, but it is the perfect ideal stone, unlike any other that can serve as a cornerstone. And the Father says, Jesus is that stone. He's the one. That everything in your life has to be built upon him. So coming to Jesus is a way of speaking of saving faith in Jesus as God's chosen, precious cornerstone of the spiritual house. And so bookending our passage, we have glorious things said about Jesus in chapter one, verse 18 and 19. He, his, we're, not, we're saved not just by imperish, like perishable things like gold and silver, but something far more costly, the blood of Christ that's imperishable. Or in chapter two, verse 24 and 25, he bears our sins in his body on the tree, and in that way he heals us. I mean, he's the one. And so again, in Jesus, the living stone, we become living stones of God's spiritual house. And we are living stones as individuals, but the, the emphasis here is what we are together, living stones together as a spiritual house. And that's the emphasis in the New Testament when it speaks about the temple of God. Not so much, it's true, you individually are the temple of God, but it's together we are inhabited by the Spirit as the temple of God. So you imagine a wall and a temple, and you have these, these stones, these living stones, these bricks in the wall, and they're all interlocking and interdependent. And so bricks above depend and, and, and depend upon the bricks below. And if one brick decays or gets out of sorts, everything gets unsettled in the wall. It's, it's that interdependent are the stones in the wall. And that's how he pictures the people of God, this spiritual house as interpenetrated, interlocking. And we're not just the temple of God, but we're also a holy priesthood. And so he mixes the metaphors. We're this interlocking people, but we're also priests within the temple. And 
So yes, we're priests individually, but we're also, and the emphasis in the New Testament is we're a priesthood together. So our local church, we're a priesthood. And so in the Old Testament, we think of all the things that a priest did in the Old Testament, it's applied to the people of God. Like we are consecrated to God. You know, all those ceremonies, consecrating the priest. Nothing short of that in the spirit is what we are. We are in a special relationship with God. We offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We help others enter into fellowship with God. And so this is further described in verse nine, this idea of a priesthood. So verse nine is really a high point passage for me. It, it, it grows out of Isaiah 43 and Exodus 19, and it's really moving that God views us in the same way he viewed Israel of the Old Testament. So Exodus 19, you know, he just brought them out of bondage to Mount Sinai, and he says these wonderful things to them. He calls them, and therefore calls us here, Peter applies it to us, that part of our sense of being a priesthood is that we are a chosen people, a chosen people. And so that idea of chosen, you know, you have, you, have, you know, you have election behind that, the plan of God in your life. You also have the idea of being select. Like, he went after you. He took the initiative in your life and went after you. Like, he wanted you. He saw you and wanted you to the degree that he wanted to, to adopt you into his family. So it's, it's a note of adoption that we're blood relatives, we're a new people, a new family, a new race in the world, and we're, we're blood relatives joined together by the blood of Christ. And so the heavenly Father's gone after you and adopted you in Christ and made you his sons and daughters because he wanted you to be a son and a daughter in, in Christ. You're a chosen people. And, and you're a royal priesthood and so kings of the day would have select priests, like their special cadre of priests, and, and Yahweh, the true king, has his special priests. And, and you were they. Now, now really, Jesus is the true high priest and also the perfect sacrifice. It all goes through him, yet in, in Christ, since he laid his life down on your behalf and washed you clean by his blood and he constantly intercedes on your behalf in glory to where no one can lodge an accusation against you. He has enabled us to be a priesthood that is the special ones of the true king. And so if chosen people speaks of adoption, royal priesthood speaks of access and you have access to God, direct access. And then you're a holy nation. Another aspect of being a, a priesthood is that you're a nation. A nation is sociopolitical. It's a people that are organized together with boundaries, laws, and a government. And Paul is saying you, you are a nation, a new nation in the world, that you have a, a citizenship which is in the kingdom of God that transcends any other citizenship you might have. And therefore, your loyalty and your allegiance is, is ultimately foundationally to God. You're set apart to him. So, holy nation speaks to our allegiance. Where is our primary allegiance? And it speaks to us being ambassadors from God to this world. Allegiance and ambassadors. And then you're also a people for his own possession. And kings in the day would have, they'd own everything, but then they'd have a private collection. This collection they just really hid for themselves. And 
really enjoyed and you had to have special permission to see it and God applies that to you. He calls you his special possession, the treasure that he holds close, that's dearest to him. So if chapter one, verse 18 and 19 says he paid for you with the highest cost, which is the blood of his beloved, and therefore he has deep affection for you. So chosen people, adoption, royal priesthood, access, holy nation, allegiance, and being ambassadors, uh, people for his own possession, his deep affection uh, for you, your attractiveness to him. It's incredible things that how he views you. And then in verse 11, if we are all that, then that also means we're sojourners and exiles here. If we're that, then we're not really citizens here. We're sojourners and exiles. And it's really imperative that we take that to heart. We'll, we'll never live well, we'll never truly make an impact unless we do. We'll expect too much out of this world or we'll get tangled up in the priorities of this world, but we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. If we are all that, then we're sojourners and exiles here, meaning that here is not our true home, but we're heading towards our true home. And so the idea is we're resident aliens or we're foreigners and strangers here. It's not that we're tourists and sightseers who don't care about where we are. The idea is that we labor here, we live here, we have a purpose here like a resident alien would, but we don't expect to feel at home here. And we don't take our cultural cues and way of life from here. They derive from our true home, glory. We're, we're exiles and sojourners here. Now all of these are your privileges and your identity. It's, it's remarkable how he builds these one on the other in the way God views you in Christ. Maybe that sink down further. And so if we are all this, then what is our purpose? So these are our privileges, what is our purpose? If this is our identity, what is our involvement? And so again, that quote we started our service with, what goes deepest to the heart goes widest to the world. So if all this is going deep in our hearts, we should expect it to go out from us to the world. We should expect that to be perceived by those around us. If all this is not going out from us to others, then we have to question how deep it's really gone down into our hearts. So again, identity drives involvement, status moves us to service, who we are dictates what we do. We're not asked to do what we're not. So let me highlight seven things uh, out of this passage that speak to our purpose, involvement, service, that grow out of who we are in Christ. And so the first one, you know, seven great things to think about at the start of a new year as individuals in a church. So the first is, out of verse uh, two, as we enter in this new year, because of who we are, uh, let's long for pure spiritual milk. So 1 Peter, the, the letter has 23 imperatives, if you wanted that information. And um, however, in our passage, this is the only one. And so it's incredibly important, and also the word is really intense, it's a very strong word, this long for. So some commentators view this imperative as a central imperative of the whole book. Like if you just want to have one command, take this one, they'd say. 
And so it means a very strong desire, even a craving. The picture is, as you know, like a, a, a little baby who's hungry and just wants milk right now. Uh, verse 23 of chapter one, you see, calls the word an imperishable seed that gives birth and causes growth. It's this hidden power it has. And so what Peter is encouraging us to do is what would you long for it? A lot of things uh, take our attention, but in the midst of all that, would you long for, crave the, spir- the pure spiritual milk this year? And second, let's come to him. Let's come to him, always going to the word himself, Christ. Because Christ is the one about whom the word speaks. He's the word himself. And so when we get to verse four and that wonderful little short phrase, as you come to him, in the sense that you're always going to him. So let's be wary of the way that we really in our heart of hearts reject him and stumble over him and get offended by him when he's that immovable rock in our way, when we have other priorities and agendas for ourselves. And I love the thought, let's aim to regard him and behold him more and more as the Father does. And in my mind, the passage that comes out is Philippians 2, the Christ hymn, when he keeps going down, 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 and the Father steps in and says, your verdict may be the cross, but my verdict is I'm raising him far above our rule and authority, power and dominion. Every knee is gonna bow to him. And I want my view of Jesus to be the view of the Father for his Son. And so we view the Son as chosen and precious and really the cornerstone of our life. And so that leads us to verse three, that we would taste and see that he's good, you know? And so verse three comes out of Psalm 34, eight. In Psalm 34, eight, the Lord is Yahweh, but in verse three here, Peter says, no, that's Jesus, specifically. And he's not one good among many, he's the good, as scripture portrays him, and it shows that God wants the good for you. He's for you, he's for your happiness and your well-being, and it's linked and anchored in the one who is good, the Lord Jesus Christ. He supplies the privileges of this, of this chapter. God is out for your good in him. Well, third, as we enter into this new year, drawing from our privileges, let's offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's verse five. Let's offer those spiritual sacrifices more and more. So we really, we offer sacrifices as the priesthood. And so in the Old Testament, there are two kinds of sacrifices. One was a sacrifice of atonement to remove guilt from you. And praise God, we don't need those kinds of sacrifices because Jesus is the one. They are pointed to him, his blood covers us. But the Old Testament also spoke of other sacrifices, sacrifices of thanks and gratitude and devotion and commitment to God on the basis of my guilt being removed. It's like offering myself to him for that. And those types of sacrifices we continually offer every day. It comes out in a number of ways in scripture. You know, Romans 12, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Other passages speak of lifting your heart to God as a sacrifice or 
employing your voices of praise and prayer to God or offering uh, uh, tithes and offerings we give to God, ways we help the needy, ways we speak of his grace to others are all spoken of as, as sacrifice of thanksgiving and devotion to God as a priesthood. And so furthermore, these sacrifices we don't just make individually, we make as a body, as a spiritual house. And so remember that wonderful statement, we are being built up into a spiritual house. It's, it's this present progressive, if you noticed in verse five, that you are being built up. And so Tim Keller has a wonderful little statement. He goes, to the degree that you are being built together into an interlocking interdependence, that is what God inhabits. That is how the power of the Holy Spirit and the reality of God increasingly comes into your life. It's as you are being built together. So the question is, am I being built into this spiritual house that I'm a part of? Do I attend a worship service or a lesson, but am I remaining apart from the community life of this body that I'm a part of? The, the, the power and the presence is, is poured into us to the degree that we're being built in that we become this interlocking fellowship of believers. And it's an admonition to take those steps to, that my life would be rooted in the lives of others and shared with the lives of others that I'm a part of. And so then we look at verse nine, and again, that chosen people idea. Um, am I seeking to grow as an adopted child? Or royal priesthood, am I seeking to help others gain access? Or a holy nation, am I living with my primary allegiance to God and an ambassador of God in this world? Or people for his own possession, do I wake up in the morning knowing that I'm attractive to God because of Christ? Does it shape my mindset during the day? Am I helping others become that? Well, fourth, let's proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's the strongest purpose clause in our passage. We declare God's excellencies both in the church and before the world. We are all of that to declare. It means that we declare God's perfections and his attributes and his character. But in, in particular, in verse uh, 9 and 10, it means we declare the gracious works of the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It blows us away. And we have to talk about his grace in Christ. And the interesting thing is, we don't just do that with words, we primarily do that with words. I love how Sinclair Ferguson says that those who have no Bible and don't know Christ, might we live in such a way they catch a sense of the perfections of our God because they see him reflected in our fellowship one to the other. It's a visible proclamation. Well, fifth, let's, as we enter this year, press into being a people who know we've received mercy comes out of verse 10. You were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. You once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I love Ferguson again here. He says, this may be the most important statement in the whole passage, that what our world needs to see, a dying world needs to see a group of people who just know they've received mercy. And so down the core of your being, the tone of your life, the disposition that's expressed, the aroma you give off would be, I know I don't have anything on my own. 
that everything is gift and grace in Jesus. I'd be lost without him. And there's this deep sense of gratitude and thankfulness and humility that the people radiate because they are bearers of the gospel of Christ. We know that we are those who receive mercy this year. And then the last two are specifically related to the idea of being sojourners and aliens before this world. And so every church has this tension we live in. We live in a tension, John Stott calls it a holy worldliness. I like that. So we're holy and set apart from the world. We don't assimilate to the world and yet God saved us to send us back into the world so we engage well and so we live in this tension and sometimes we don't get it right. But we have this two-sided tension as we reach out into the world. So six, the sixth purpose is let's resist the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. And make no mistake, in our own mind and rationalizing things of the world, the flesh and the devil are waging an all-out war against your soul. There's never any peace, there's never any truce, it's an all-out war against your soul. The idols of our world, money, success, sex, power, beauty, approval, comfort, all of those and many more are trying to get your gaze fixed on the creature and not the creator. Trying to give you a false Christ, not the true Christ. It's, it's a war to squeeze us into the mentality, the mold of our world. So therefore, on the one hand, we fight tooth and nail in the power of the gospel to resist this war against our souls. But that's not all. Seventh and finally, Let's renew our world with good deeds so that though they vilify us as intolerant or exclusive or regressive or whatever, the world must also recognize the life-giving works that we, the body of believers, perform on their behalf. So good deeds aren't just moral deeds. They are that, but they're more. The word is actually beautiful, beautiful deeds. It's things that our world knows it needs. It's things that promote peace and justice and goodness in society that we are leading in that. So we don't just abstain from the world, we engage well with the world, we live in that tension. As John Piper says it well, he goes, doing good deeds before an onlooking world is a necessary part of declaring God's marvelous works and making him a name on earth. So we as a people, we think through the needs and the aches and the heartbreaks of our, even our city and we engage in those needs that God has placed us among for Christ and his kingdom that he might be glorified on the day of visitation with the hopes that that would awaken and draw the world to Jesus. So these are our privileges and these are our purposes as a body of believers traced in this little section of First Peter. So two closing things. One, in terms of our privileges, let's get more acquainted with our privileges always more acquainted, and maybe in verse 11, might you know you're beloved in Christ? Might that word ring loud and clear to you, the beloved came after you, and you live in that. And second, our purpose, let's take steps to be more of an interlocking, interdependent fellowship and maybe one of the best ways is our community groups organized in our church kind of by decades, bigger groups with a threefold vision. And one is that we'd strengthen our fellowship with one another. Two, that we would have safe places to invite people that might 
be inquisitive or concerned or needy. And third, that they might be channels through which we might serve our community. There's a threefold purpose there. Might we lean a little bit more into those groups? And to that degree, beginning on the 15th of this month, hopefully, uh, our Sunday school is going to be arranged by community groups. And so we'll have more information of that forthcoming, at least through Easter. Our privileges and our purpose, a glorious passage. So as we start this year, might we go on, might, may God go on building us up into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices for our own good and the good of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for this great passage that Peter gives us, and we pray that you would do that work of um, letting it go deep, uh, to fill our hearts with really thankfulness and renewed sense of, of purpose that we have on this earth. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand.